Welcome to the Fourth Watch Podcast, a curated conversation with some of the most interesting voices in the media. I'm Steve Krakauer. Today we've got something a little different, but related, you'll see. John Greenwald, founder of The Black Vault, is with me. This is episode 35. All right, so I've been fascinated by the unexplainable, unidentified flying objects or UFOs, or the new term, unidentified aerial phenomenon, for a while. But especially after late 2017, when reports in the New York Times and Politico and later in 60 Minutes took on the issue with new video and new questions. I believe the topic's a media story because journalists should be curious about the world and skeptical of power. And this is now, without a doubt, a story about government power. So I brought on an expert to talk about the media angle and bear with me a little while I throw my UFO theories at him also. We're going to start with John Greenwald's background, the power of FOIA, and the way the media has traditionally covered UFOs and UAPs. I want to start, before we kind of get into this, with uh, your background, a little bit of your background and what you do at the Black Vault, because I, I, I love it, first of all. And I, I really think that, you know, if we talk about the, the media as this broad spectrum, I think it's it's the kind of work that more in the media uh, should be doing, all kinds of media should be doing. But but let's start there. What, what, what's your background and, and, and what do you, what's sort of the, the goal, the conceit of the Black Vault? Sure. And thanks for having me, by the way. It's it's a pleasure to be here. So I, when I was 15 years old, just kind of got it in me with some curiosity to see what the government had on UFOs. And I learned about this thing called the Freedom of Information Act. And at that time, being 15, I'd never heard of it before. And I learned that you could utilize this tool to get information, get documents, even get videos and photos and go after information. Well, to make a long story short, UFOs was the topic that I started with, but ended up getting kind of attached to pretty much any government secret that you can imagine. And what the Black Vault became was the website that I was looking for, but never found. And at that time, back in 1996, not to to age myself, but uh, it was 1996, the internet was a much different place. And I wanted, a, I wanted to see government documents. I wanted to read them for myself. Um, sure, books were great, but I didn't want to see editorialized versions of somebody's interpretation. I wanted the raw evidence. And the blackvault.com is exactly what you see. Um, uh, what, what you see today with the blackvault.com is exactly what I was looking for back then, but never found. So here I am almost 26 years later. Uh, I've I've amassed about 3 million uh, pages, over 3 million pages obtained through FOIA, put online, and anyone can download them for free. I don't charge anything. It's it's such a resource, uh, really. And, and it, it also, I think, is a great reminder for everyone of their rights uh, as Americans, of what we have, what we, we could have access to. Um, now, there's lots of redactions and there's and I'm sure there's so many pains in the asses that you get uh, in this process. But um, but it is great. And it really is a great resource for everyone. And um, and, I, you know, I would I would highly encourage everyone to go uh, to the Black Vault. But um, you, the, at the Black Vault is not just, uh, you know, UFO and, and UAP content, but there is a lot of that there as well. And, and that is kind of your background. I want to kind of focus on that. Um, I've got my own UFO and UAP. I, I, I say UFO because I think that 
unidentified flying object. That's the the term that a lot of people uh, who are not super familiar with the world um, know it as um, UAP, more of the newer term, unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, so I will now use it UAPs, but that's what we're talking about here. Um, I've got lots of theories. I'm going to throw at you at the end. Um, sure. You can tell me if I'm crazy based on your your you know strong historical knowledge uh, of the topic. But I want to start with the media because. I, I write a lot and I, I talk a lot about the media as, you know, there's certain sort of biases. There's, you know, selection bias and there's bias of omission. And I do think that a lot of the UAP story, uh, especially in the last like five years, really can fit into to that camp. Uh, um, you know, there, there are some exceptions, I think 60 minutes, you know, there, there, there were big report, which got a lot of attention and kind of got the ball rolling a little bit, you know, gave it a little bit more, uh, than just this sort of surface look, um, but then when there's, it's not that a lot of times it's like not taken seriously. It's like this, this sideshow, you get the, you know, the truth is out there and scary music. Um, and so, so I wonder, as you look at it, particularly as someone who's covered this, this area and been interested in, in trying to getting to know more about the truth about what, you know, is in our world. Um, what do you see as kind of the broader, you know, national media when it comes to covering these unexplainable things? Well, I would say the media tries and I and and sadly, I think they they fail in many ways covering this. Now, I look at it in two ways Uh, when I when I have my investigator researcher hat on, it's frustrating because I've been doing this, like I said, for more than 25 years going after documents. There's amazing evidence there. Sure. Sometimes it's not as sexy as some wild, crazy, you know, shot in silhouette kind of interview with a story you can't substantiate. Um, Yeah, it's not as sexy. I fully admit that the evidence is real, solid, and and you can see it and verify it for your, for yourself. So when I'm wearing that hat, I look at it and go, man, they're failing in so many ways. Why are we why are we allowing this to happen? But then when I put on another hat, I, I produced television for about a decade. I worked for networks like Discovery Channel and and History Channel, A and E, and National Geographic. And when you take on a topic. Uh, and you've got no background on it, and there's more than like 70 years worth of history to it, it's hard to cover it. It really is. So I kind of defend it a little bit where they just kind of, on a Monday, have an assignment about Ukraine. On Tuesday, it's going to be about uh, a Johnny Depp trial. And on Wednesday, it's UFOs. And Thursday, it's something else. And so, I mean, I kind of understand, but in the same respect, this topic deserves a lot more. And I feel that when it comes to media coverage, I definitely lean towards it's just brushed over and there's very much that stigma that a lot of people talk about when it comes to media journalists that they don't want to take it seriously for the most part. Again, there are exceptions to the rule, but but for the most part, they just go, oh, God, I want this assignment. So they just kind of get through it. And you, you, whether it be in, in print or whether it be on television, you get the X-Files music and they move on. Exactly. Exactly. Right. The little the fun graphics and things. No, I, it's, it's such a good point. And, and it, for me, though, it really speaks to, I think, uh, a failing in the industry, because, you know, I, I think a lot about this with like covid um, so many stories that that seem so complicated and unexplainable, and you also have um, government officials. I don't care what side of the aisle you are that are that are either not saying the truth because they don't they know the truth and they're not saying it, or they're just wrong. You know, they're they're, and they're this unexplainable thing. People are going to get things wrong. It's but that's a juicy story. That's a great story. It shouldn't be something that you just so easily 
dismiss or, you know, buy a certain narrative or just kind of, oh, you know, here it is. And it, it seems like the kind of thing where a curious industry would spend a lot more resources on. Um, and we just, we just really haven't seen it. And, you know, to your point, maybe it's, um, you know, there's a lot of coziness between uh, journalism and, um, you know, the military industrial complex. There's, you know, uh, coziness between you know, the government and, and journalists. And then it's the topic itself, I guess, that has the stigma. I, I, I wonder wh- where do you think it kind of lands as the most, you know, per- pervasive for, for why we're not getting as much coverage? I think it's a, I, honestly, I think it's a couple things because when you get into this topic, there is beyond a shadow of a doubt with supporting evidence that there has been a cover up for decades. There are provable lies, uh, again, using only evidence that they gave me. Uh, so for your audience that's not aware, when you use the FOIA and your, your Freedom of Information Act and you're getting these, these documents from the government, what I mainly talk about is using that evidence only. I'm not taking somebody who came out of the shadows and use their word against the government. No, I use the government's evidence. And it's that easy to prove a cover-up, prove they're lying through their teeth, and prove that the investigation that they did do through the late 40s, 50s, and 60s was essentially a farce. It was just a PR campaign for telling the general public, hey, calm down, UFOs are nothing. We looked into it and and there's nothing there. So I, I think that there's a lot of uh, things that that go into um, the media not nailing this one. And yeah. I think that that when you cover that topic, you have to profile that the government is lying to you. You just have to. And the media, yeah, sure, they love juicy stories, but there's a line you have to cross when you cover this because now you're dealing with real evidence that the government is putting out there that no one can refute. And that's a lot different than, again, that that in silhouette shot interview of, you know, Agent X coming out with a cool story. So I think some media outlets don't want to touch it and and they don't want to cross that line because you start getting into some strong accusations. Uh, You also get into strong implications about what this could potentially be. And then you also touch into very sensitive areas like classified technology and stuff like that. So. I'm not saying the UFO or UAP uh, issue is all classified tech, not at all, but it's definitely a part of it. So when you take all of those puzzle pieces and put them together, no major media outlet wants to accuse the government of lying, accuse the government of covering up something for more than half a century, start encroaching onto classified territory and start start profiling weaknesses to a very powerful military that we have here in America. So there's a lot of things I think working against this getting a fair shot. In 2017, the UAP story blew wide open with a pair of reports in the New York Times and Politico. How did that change the game? There's a saying about, you know, journalism is is publishing what others don't want published or what someone doesn't want published, everything else is public relations. And, you know, even if we, even in the, in the, the most benign explanation of some of what uh, would be called UAPs, we can certainly say that there are, are forces in the government that don't want to spend much time talking about this. I mean, they would much rather the conversation just sort of go away and not have to deal with it, um, which I think kind of brings us to um, 2017, which really was a big inflection point. I think for me, as someone who was not as steeped into this world, um, and, and I wonder, I guess, you know, from the other way, 
whether you, as someone who, who is, sees it this way, but December of 2017, published uh, on the same day, um, which is sort of interesting also, yeah. uh, was the New York Times uh, story, which is called Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program. And Politico published the Pentagon's Secret Search for UFOs. Um, both told somewhat similar stories uh, about a program uh, that they described as ATIP. Um, and this was also where, if, if people are familiar with, you know, at all with some of these videos, um, the USS Nimitz, USS Roosevelt were two of these th these videos that, you know, I, I think that the intrigue really grew because of this, because of the validity of them. They had, mm -hmm. we, we can see videos, we see that they are coming not from, you know, a guy on his on his cell phone or, you know, or, or in his backyard, but military uh, aircraft um, and very, what seemed to be trustworthy sources, you know, military veterans on the record talking about this. And like I said, we can see the videos themselves. So I, I wonder, you know, talk, take us back to that moment when, when you were seeing these, were you seeing this as a big, you know, change in kind of how this topic might get covered and talked about? Yeah, December of 2017 kind of changed everything in this field. I, I was floored, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I didn't expect such a story. Now, not to back up too much, but in October of the same year, for geeks like myself who kind of watch all this stuff, there was a press conference that was done by an organization called To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, led by uh, uh, rock star Tom DeLonge of Blink-182 fame. And long story short, it was... Although ATIP wasn't mentioned, a secret government program looking into aerial threats was. And that was something that was intriguing me from October. Now, fast forward to December, I'm like, wow, this is the program name. Uh, this is this is the the these are the details about it. And it really kind of changed it because now we had videos that that's not something that's been done for quite some time. So that was a, a turning point. Um, although later I became skeptical about some claims, it didn't matter. Like I've never shied away that that December moment of 2017 was awesome in this field of research because it really did bring it to the forefront. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I, I, I actually don't, I don't remember the, the political story myself. Um, I went back and I found that actually, you know, we'll get to some of what where, what you're talking They're about now. The, it's always the New York Times article. Well, that's the but thing, right? did the same thing. I, I know. So, so they were very kind of in the in the back. But shout it, out to Brian Bender who wrote it. He's a he's a good guy. Yeah, Brian Bender was was the Politico reporter. Um, uh, Helene uh, Cooper was among the New York Times reporters who did. I mean, you know, you know very legitimate stories. And and I have to say, I mean, I the the New York Times thing. I, I I'm critical of the New York Times for various things, but, but also, you know, there is a status to that. And you, you put this story, I believe it was on the front page of the New York times. Yeah. Um, you know, that is, that is a seminal moment, I think in the field of, of, you know, coverage of this. Um, now, even in that, in that thing, I mean, they've got black money in the, in the title uh, of it, in the headline. Um, so there was this, there, there were there were several threads to it, and I think that you know even just going back and reading these in the last week, um, you know there they were a little bit more nuanced than even just what I focused on, which again were like the videos. What do we see in the videos? 
um, and the fact that there's this this secret program that's looking into it. But I do think the origins of this program, which you know, we fast forward a little bit. The New York Post um, uh, talked about this in their in the basement office uh, video recently, uh, looking at what, this Austap program and Harry Reid and was he funneling money to his buddy and and you know maybe the a little bit more of a shady uh, origins of 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 the program itself. Um, do you think that that I guess as you're looking at the the stories now? Um, like the PR operation around the stories, like how, how do you see it now looking back at it? You know, I still see it as that turning point, but now here we are in 2022, looking back, you realize the shortcomings of the reporting. And it, and it was actually back in the beginning part of 2018 where things started to what I call red flags, things started to kind of stick out of going, well, okay, now, wait a minute. Now that the, excitement and adrenaline has calmed down a little bit, you know, research investigator mode in me kicks into full gear going, okay, you know, I, I want to know the truth to this. And again, it goes back to that October press conference. I had FOIA requests into the Pentagon the day that press conference took place in October. I didn't even know about ATIP. Those cases yielded responses that started sending red flags up. That stuff that should have been within the Secretary of Defense's office wasn't there. Uh, and I'm nutshelling the, the story here. But essentially, what should have been there was, was not. And the Pentagon was saying, hey, we got nothing. And as time would go on into 2018, those videos that we've been so excited about, then all of a sudden, red flags went up about that because the Pentagon said, no, we never released those. But if you look back at the stories, they say source was the DOD and so on, and that they were uh, going through this declassification process. So I don't want to say that the whole story fell apart, but it didn't take long for those red flags to go up and and make some of us start to question it. And how I feel about it today, I mean, yeah, sometimes I'll periodically go back and go, man, that really missed the mark. And, and you brought up OSAP, and that's a prime example. We were all led to believe that this, what was called ATIP effort, uh, got the $22 million, but instead it was a different program altogether at a different agency. And so when you really start pulling those threads and you start looking at the, the nitty-gritty details, which some people, and I totally get it, glaze over and they go, I don't really care. UFOs, we got UFO videos, we're talking about it. Who cares about the nitty gritty? And I get that. But for someone like me, I need to go back to 2007, 2008 and figure out how this all came down. And, and you brought up the Harry Reid sweetheart deal type of thing. You know, was this just kind of, um, of funneling money over? And I think evidence is there. Not to say it negates everything, but we have to frame this appropriately. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we talk about the, the Harry Reid element to it, you know, Harry Reid notably has, has always kind of had an interest in, you know, extraterrestrial and UFOs, um, Harry Reid, former, you know, top, uh, top Senator, um, he, and, but the program itself, at least from what some of the reporting is, is, you know, had a, had a much, much wider net of, of interest that was looking into than just, uh, UFOs or, or, or things along those lines. But obviously the stories that came out in 2017 focused on that. Um, and, you know, it was, it, uh, 
uh, Bender, who you mentioned uh, from from Politico, um, tweeted that uh, you know the, the his sources who you know he identified as with ATIP shaped the original story. No surprise there, but to my knowledge, they never lied. I still consider them credible sources. But in retrospect, there's there's doubt. We all should have asked. Uh, more, there's no doubt we should have asked more questions about the origin of of ATIP. And so, yeah, you know, I, I think that there's there's definitely lots of questions. I guess the, my my question to you though is, um, and we'll get to this in a little bit because I want to talk about the most recent congressional hearing, which you know, the first public hearing in 50 years on the topic didn't really get a lot out there, I would say. Um, but they did mention like the Nimitz video uh, as an example of one that they they still consider unexplained. And, you know, I guess lends some legitimacy to it. I Do you still do you think that those videos and, and the sources that later went on to talk to 60 Minutes and other places uh, within the military are legitimate? Of course, I, I believe that the pilots are, are you're referring to the pilots and the witnesses yeah. that came forward. Absolutely. There's no reason to doubt their stories, uh, the, the men and women that have come forward. Uh, none. Zero. I, I think what gets a bad rap in this conversation is that if you go against what they've said, meaning entertain the classified technology potential here, uh, that that's offensive to them. And, and that's a, a show of disrespect. And I just want to kind of say that up front, that I don't believe that to be true, uh, meaning I believe that these pilots are incredibly trustworthy. They're the best of the best, uh, and they know their field. Uh, but in the same respect, what surprises me about this story is that I do, just based on, on uh, provable history and how the U.S. military and American military has tested classified technology in various locations over the past, again, 50 plus years when you go back, uh, this screams uh, that there's a classified technology route to it, potentially. Not saying that it is, uh, but but potentially. So when the government comes forward and says, hey, this is a prime example of something we can't explain like they did in the in the hearing, I'm scratching my head. You know, I mean, mm. I, are they being honest? Are they lying to Congress? If they're being honest, then what then what really is this? You know, and, and there's so many questions that come along with it. And I'm not sure if you want to get into this or not, but just to kind of nutshell this point, there is a huge what I call counterintelligence value to the UAP discussion. And, and what I mean by that is you have a small percentage of this of these phenomena that are truly unexplained that the US government has no idea what they are. I truly believe that. We see it in the public realm, and then we are obviously seeing it with the military. But there's another percentage, albeit maybe even a bigger one, of explained objects, things from foreign adversaries, from our own arsenal, that we don't wanna alert other people that we can see that, or identify it, same with our own technology. So that counterintelligence value is that you can use all that mud in this, in this conversation and just throw it out there. And, and in the end, the end result is water that is so murky, you have no idea what the government is trying to say or don't say, or you read into this syllable, or did they use a comma here, or what did they really mean? And you start looking at that. And, and if we, the general public, we, the people, if we're doing that, you know that our enemies out there are doing the same thing. Our friends are doing the same thing. Those countries that skirt the line in between those two categories, they're doing the same thing too. So that's where I say that that, that is what we have to bring into this conversation that I actually don't think the general public is really taking into uh, consideration yet. And, and I think we should. 
Yeah, uh, this is this is fascinating. Uh, I, I the the idea of of what these things are. I want to do. I want to do last, but I do like. Let, let's just you know set the scene for people that aren't familiar with the videos. I would say go watch the videos. But um, you know, we're talking about these. These have been described as like TikTok, tac like objects. Um, the one of the big. I guess talking points about them is that there's no visible propulsion uh, to them. Extremely fast, dropping altitudes, rising out uh, at a, a you know unexplainable mm-hmm. levels, um, and uh, seeming to appear like in one spot and almost like instantly in the next. Um, so those are what we're seeing in the videos. At least that's what we're being, you know, at least that's what we're told that we're seeing in the video. That's that's what was described in the New York Times story and the Politico story um, and in, in lots of stories since in 60 Minutes. Um, then the question becomes what those things are. Coming up, the fallout from the government's UAP report last June and the public congressional hearing earlier this year. That's next. But first, I want to talk about Tom Brady. Tom Brady will begin his 23rd NFL season in September, but when he retires, whenever that is, he has his next gig lined up. Fox Sports announced recently that Brady would be joining the company and heading into the top NFL broadcast booth as soon as his playing career comes to an end, whether that's 2023 or later. The deal is massive. Brady's reportedly getting $375 million over 10 years. Now, NFL announcers have been getting increasingly bigger deals with Tony Romo and then Troy Aikman getting in the $18 million per year range, but Brady's is going to be more than double that. What struck me as most intriguing, though, was one part of the statement from Fox Sports, which noted that in addition to calling games, Brady will also serve as an ambassador for us, particularly with respect to client and promotional initiatives. Now, there's been all sorts of reaction to this deal, but the ambassador element is crucial. Brady's not just arguably the greatest NFL player of all time. He's also a social media influencer. And social media influencers often become, quote, brand ambassadors for big money. Brady has 30 million followers on TikTok, another 20 million on Instagram. Social media has become its own business platform. Kylie Jenner and The Rock can get seven figures for a single Instagram post. So Brady could certainly pull mid six figures just for that. There's no doubt the social media posts driving Brady's engaged followers to Fox Sports content is part of the deal. In addition to the social media marketing, signing Brady early allows a whole year or more of earned media for Fox Sports. Every time Brady plays on ESPN or NBC Sports this year, there's a very good chance his post-playing career job at Fox will get mentioned too. You can't buy that sort of publicity on a competitor. Or I guess you can. More with John coming up, but first, the Fourth Watch podcast is presented by The First TV. The First is a new network for free speech and big ideas featuring Bill O'Reilly, Dana Lash, Buck Sexton, Jesse Kelly, and more. It's a forum for new thought, new approaches, and an enlightening voice for a new America that embraces the founding principles and ideals that formed the greatest country on the planet. The First is free, free speech, free ideas, free TV. Watch The First TV on Pluto TV, Distro TV, Apple TV, The First TV app, and more. Go to thefirsttv.com to learn more. And now back to John Greenwald. I want to fast forward a little bit to uh, the DNI um, in investigation and the report that came out, uh, what they described as a preliminary assessment uh, that came out last year, um, which I, I would say probably was precipitated from these 2017 reports. I mean, it kind of took a long time to get to this, but we finally got this report um, that, that came out in June uh, of 2021. It was called the Preliminary Assessment on Identified Aerial Phenomena. Um, 
And I know, you know, you've, you've described it as kind of a letdown at first, but then something that you were a little bit encouraged by, because at least, you know, we're, it's a starting point, right? We're, we're having this conversation and right. I, I kind of felt the same way. I, I read it and I was like, well, there's not much here. It's eight pages, but you know, really it's like five pages anyway. What they do say though, is that there's 144 reports and almost every one of those instances could still not be determined what that is, um, including 21 reports of these unexplainable flying patterns. So what do you, what do you think? I mean, for people that are, that, you know, look at it and it didn't get much coverage, I think in the media at the time, um, you know, probably because it didn't really conclude much, but not concluding much seems like kind of a, an interesting story also. What, what do you think of it now looking back at it a year later? Yeah, I my thoughts were exactly like you just uh, put out there at, at first was a letdown. But then when you kind of take a deep breath and realize, OK, they're not they're the likelihood of them coming out and going, OK, guys, we've lied to you for 75 years. This is aliens <laughs> uh, was pretty nil. So when you look at it, you do see those gems. You see, yes, a small percentage. But given that this is true and that they are not lying to Congress, uh, you look at that and you go, okay, there are cases here that are just not identifiable, that that they are bewildering our, our U.S. military, that our sensors can see it and track it, the human eye can see it. So you've got multiple uh, systems, if you will, that are seeing this these phenomena. And, and I think that that is something that, that, that I definitely take away from it. Um, the next morning, uh, just a quick note on that report, uh, we all know that there was a classified version of that report as well that was submitted to Congress. So the general public got this nine-page, you know, kind of a letdown, but uh, you know, something that was was definitely worthwhile in a way. Uh, but Congress got something else. Right. So I had filed a case to get that classified version reviewed for release on that Saturday morning. So the report to the public was released on a Friday. I think it was June 25th or something, if memory serves. But that Saturday, I filed the case. Uh, fast forward to just a couple months ago, and although I didn't get all of it, uh, did get a declassified version of, of what was given to Congress in a classified setting. And it did reveal even more that they don't want the general public to know the physical descriptions of these UAP, that they will not even tell you the shapes of them, and that they actually have either photographs or sketched depiction diagrams or both, uh, but they're all blacked out 100%. So they don't even want to show you any uh, indicator on what these these things are. So let, let, let me just let me just clarify that. So you're saying that the the, the people, people can find on on the, at the Black Vault the what you got through FOIA that Congress saw, they gave you the blacked out version, but Congress did see the, the actual photos and Correct. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And that was a process called a mandatory declassification review. And essentially it just mandates that agencies look at a classified document, video or photo or all of the above and, and release it. And so that was what we were able to get from the general public. But yeah, the Congress saw a classified 17 page report with pictures uh, from what I was able to deduce. They did not get anything attached to it, like a DVD with you know, multiple videos. There were a lot of rumors that were going around, uh, but the uh, ODNI told me that there were, were no other attachments. What I got, albeit partially uh, blacked out, was what Congress got in full. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously more there. And it, it really squares with what we just saw last month, which was, you know, the first congressional hearing, um, a public congressional hearing on the issue in 50 years. Um, 
it was about 90 minutes long. Uh, I, I can't even count how many times the answer to a question from a congressman uh, was, we'll tell you in private session. So mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't really uh, pan out the whole public idea. I guess they had a, they had a private session that would happen after. Um, and, you know, again, more of what we, more of the same, where if we are to assume that they are not lying under oath, there are lots of things, lots of UAPs that cannot be explained after now years of investigating this, um, that cannot be explained by our government and our military. That's if we, if we're to believe that that they're not lying under oath, that is the truth, though, at this point. Yeah. And one thing that that I failed to mention that I should is that that classified version supported uh, what you just said, that the 144 cases that were in that report evaluated, I should say, um, they weren't all in it, but out of the 144, they had only one was identifiable as a deflating balloon. Right. The 143 were, were unidentified. So just to kind of bring that point up, Congress was told in a classified setting the exact same statistics, which I think is important. So either even in a classified setting, if the if the intelligence community is lying to them, that's a different conversation. Uh, but I will say that, that 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 matched up between the classified version and the public version. OK, I, I before we get into kind of what, what these things might mm-hmm. be and a little bit on that, um, I do think it's interesting. You know, one of the New York Times or another story in 2020, I, the New York Times, shout out to them. They have been on this story a little bit more than pretty much any other media outlet. And I do think that there's there's something admirable to that. Um, they wrote uh, a, a sort of insider report called Do You Believe in UFOs? That's the wrong question. Um, and I and I it, it gets it to this point, which I think you kind of, you know, joked at about it offhandedly. But like we need to decouple this idea of the belief in UAPs or in the, the discussion about UAPs and like aliens and extraterrestrial life. You know, I, I think that it gets so muddy that way also. And I don't know whether it's it's a media construction, whether if I'm being cynical and conspiratorial, it's a government construction. But but that decoupling, I think, would do a lot of good in this whole conversation. Yeah. When when you say conspiratorial and it's a government construction, I I if you asked me 10 years ago, I, I would say, yes, that that was conspiratorial, that the government didn't want anything to do with this and and not to get conspiratorial myself. But I think that we have to to really look at the attempt at a cover up for as long as the government did and lied through their teeth about their interest in UFOs. And again, I've got evidence to prove all of that. So they've been interested in these phenomena for for many, many years, despite what they've what they've said. Uh, and there are files throughout the intelligence community to, to to prove that. But I think that there was like a switch where they realized, OK, we're not succeeding with this cover up because the general public doesn't believe us anyway. And so now what if they do construct some of those those narratives out there to just throw it into that that muddy water and, and throw it into the mix? And now when they say things like, well, we we couldn't confirm that anything was connected to extraterrestrials, but we couldn't rule it out either. Is that to create the intrigue? And then and then you do have a certain part of the conversation and those involved in it that then kind of migrate towards that and go, aha, see, they didn't say it, but they did not say it. So it has to be true because I read it on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, you you do have a percentage of people that are going to be like that. And, and again, I, I don't want to sound conspiratorial myself because I try and think of myself, despite what I do, not being that way. But when you look at the value of that now, we can't really allege a cover up, can we? Like, because they're actively talking about it and they're investigating it. 
and so on and so forth. So now we have to go towards, well, yes, they're covering it up, but they're redacting a lot. Well, the hearing put a couple little breadcrumbs out there you know, and, and had some visuals. So now it's like, are they playing the game? Are they not? And and trust me, I catch myself going, oh, my God, John, you're really going down this conspiracy route. Maybe they just don't know. Um, but in the same respect, I think that they could be using this and and in the process, cover up the real part of these phenomena that we all really are are attracted to. And then, again, cover up their classified technology and their capabilities to see foreign adversaries in the process. Yeah. The other sort of, you know, again, sort of conspiratorial idea is that this is sort of the long game by them to, to, you know, prepare us for the eventual, this is what's actually going on and, and to, you know, put these seeds out there so that then when, you know, it, it, doesn't freak people out so much when they actually come clean about what this is. That is another, I guess, potential theory here. It's it's definitely one that's talked about. Uh, people call that disclosure with a capital D, and, and that is the disclosure of some extraterrestrial presence. The problem that I have with that is from, from my POV, from over here trying to file requests and you know extract whatever documents I can, I would argue that in the last two years, the secrecy has deepened. And it is harder to get UFO, UAP-related information from the government than it was for me five or 10 years ago. Hmm. And the question is why? You know, right. so, so that's where on that theory, which albeit is still a good one, the secrecy shouldn't be there if we were step processing to something. And yet it seems like the opposite is happening where they're going, all right, look, we'll talk about this now, but we're not going to tell you anything. And the little things that they do tell you are you know, exciting in a way, but not. The Fourth Watch lightning round is coming up, but first, my theories on UAPs and John's expert take on them. But I want to talk about, I, I've laid this out um, to some people that I've talked to because I'm very interested in the topic as kind of four scenarios of what these things, whether it's Nimitz or or other, you know, U, UAPs that we are literal, literally seeing in, in this way. I, I see four scenarios. I see it's our own military, it's someone else's military. It's some sort of private, you know, non-military, but technology that's, you know, human-made, or it is something that's non-human. I don't even want to say extraterrestrial because I think, you know, I want to, and that's the last thing I want to ask you is like, you know, could it also be from Earth, but not human? So would you, is it fair? Am I missing anything? Could it, is it one of those four? I mean, can we, can we at least say that? I would say that it could be all of those four. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I just I don't think that there's one easy answer here. Right. And I think that it, it deals with uh, it, it literally is a case by case basis, you know, because even though I lean towards a classified platform or some kind of advanced technology human made on, like, let's say the Nimitz. And I, I get so much flack for that. But honestly, my gut just leans towards that on top of evidence, on top of, you know, what potentially people could have seen. Uh, could be a technology that either made them see it on their screens, that it looked like something was going from a very high altitude coming down. Again, there's a lot of different variables there, but there are other cases where you go, ah, just that doesn't seem right. You know, like doesn't seem like a classified platform. So uh, long winded way of saying, I think that it's all, all of the above. So Nimitz and, and you would say Roosevelt also, you lean that direction, uh, our own military on sort of classified technology. Would you also say then that, um, I guess one of the arguments against 
that theory is that these objects, while not seen in the video, like we've seen with these ones do match with things that we've seen, you know, decades ago. So, which, which leads itself to say, well, maybe it's not, you know, classified technology because this has been around for, for much longer than maybe the short amount of time that we've made that. Do you, is it, yeah. would you say that that's not an accurate way of looking at it? Well, I don't want to say it's inaccurate. Nobody yeah. has the answer and no, I yeah, yeah. pretend to have it. I will say though, that the, that, you know, the human mind wants, it's a fascinating thing. It wants to find those connections. And uh, decades ago in the UFO field, there were cases called cigar-shaped UFOs. Well, when you draw a cigar on a piece of paper, you're looking at a tic-tac. And, and it's generally, it's just a, a, a simplistic shape for a craft that's been around for, for decades and decades. But the descriptor changed. But does that mean the technology is the same? Uh, does that just mean we just have a different type of descriptor for something we're seeing in the sky? Again, that I... I think that a lot of people want to see that connection, that it's the same tech. And I know that there's a CIA document that talks about a butane tank uh, that essentially people are connecting to a tic-tac. But with such a, I would say, fuselage resembling descriptor, can we automatically assume, hey, that's the same technology in 2004, then in 19, whatever it was, 55, 57, whatever. Uh, is that the same or is it just the descriptor, you know, that broad descriptor? So in no way trying to be a debunker skeptic no. here, but rather like it, it's it's very tough when you're dealing with such a simplistic uh, descriptor on shapes and, and what we're looking at. What about the theory that... Um you know, that it's, it's our technology, like in these videos, that's advanced. And so we maybe are able to see things that uh, or not or capture things through photos and video that we weren't able to capture before and now able to kind of, you know, show it in this way. Is, is there any validity to that, you would say? The first part of that was our technology. Yeah. Like, like, we're able to... the, the, yeah, like the, the radar and, you know, sonar, like whatever technology that's able to capture this you know, the videos, the Nimitz and the Roosevelt videos um, has advanced to now where we can capture it where we couldn't have before necessarily. Yeah, there's no doubt. And and that to me is where that class of leaning towards that maybe classified technology explanation, because these types of events like the Roosevelt sightings and like the Nimitz encounter were all on training exercises. So what better way that if you're going to test some classified platform like that, uh, to do it during one of these training exercises against the most powerful military and, and, and Navy in the world. So when it comes to that, you look at the sensor upgrades. I think the, the drives war zone had done an article about this, that um, uh, they were, the military was upgrading a lot of their sensors. So, so is it that now we have the capability to see some phenomena that was undetectable before or was this part of the process that they were testing you know multiple platforms all at once to see what these upgrades could ultimately um identify in the air okay got it yeah i mean i guess you know my the last thing i would say is that i've always been interested in like this idea of is this something that's that's of earth that's not extraterrestrial but just not you know whether it's you know in the air in the ocean that is now being seen through through this way and is telling us actually more about our own planet than than another planet um now that we have this this potential technology as a as an option for for all this so i've i've seen the the theory that there's potentially other life forms i, I know the ocean 
uh, aspect to this is a big one where craft are seeing going in and, and out of the ocean. Is there some other life form here that, or an intelligence that we don't know? It's, it's fun to think about. For me, I would think, however, with the technology that we do have, even though we have a lot of room to grow uh, uh, here as, as humans uh, keep, keep developing their tech, we have a long way to go. I would think that if there was some other intelligence here in, 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 in a three-dimensional world that we would have seen some type of indicator of that. I, I'm open to being proven wrong, but I think that at this point, I, I wouldn't lean towards that. I would lean towards an extraterrestrial off-planet species coming to visit here versus going towards something that's already here. Um, getting into then different dimensions and stuff like that, totally out of my wheelhouse of, <laughs> of expertise, but obviously that that's bantered about also is, are we not dealing with a three-dimensional being, but something else, um, you know, again, it right. gets a little bit uh, farther out there than, than I like to go at the present time. Well, we've given people lots of food for thought and the media stay on it, please. Uh, yes. All right, John Greenwald, uh, last thing, six questions in 60 seconds. Where were you born? Tarzana, California. You are the founder of the Black Vault. What's one benefit and one cost of that role? A benefit is educating people on things they normally wouldn't hear about. The cost is uh, literally the cost. I've got multiple dedicated servers to run it, time, energy, and I give it away for free. So uh, there's a little, little offset there on cost. Who's someone who's been a mentor for you? In the research realm, his name was Stanton Friedman, who passed away a few years ago. He was a friend for more than 20 years, very famous in this field. And although he and I didn't agree on everything that we did, taught me you needed evidence to back anything that you come out with. Nice. Who's one person that you really like professionally or personally that may surprise people? Uh, I haven't spoken to him in many years. Does it have to be in this field? No. Mm -mm. Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips is one of the most amazing human beings I think I've ever met. Oh, interesting. Who's one person in the media you think is really interesting or talented that maybe isn't getting enough attention? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, I would say Gotti Schwartz is, is really showing that he wants the truth behind this. He does some great stories for MSNBC, I think it is. And yeah. um, I, I think that uh, when I see people that have a genuine interest in this from the media, you know, they may not get 100% of everything correct all the time, but he seems like he really genuinely wants to know what's going on. Oh, I'll check it out. The truth. I like it. I'll check in on that. All right. Last one. One year from today, what is one prediction in this particular area? I think we will still have a lot of unanswered questions, but I think that more of society will realize that the topic shouldn't be laughed at. And hopefully the media will take it even more uh, seriously than, than most of the corners do now. There are some outlets that take it seriously, while others still have a long way to go. John, thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to John Greenwald. Really interesting conversation with him. Go to theblackvault.com if you're interested in this sort of thing. But, but even if you're not, honestly, there's so many millions of documents, of pages of documents there that, that John has, uh, has really put in one place and uh, does a great service for everyone uh, to do that. So go support him. Go check that out. It's all free. Um, but there are ways of supporting him once you get there. Remember, Fourth Watch is not just a podcast. It's also a newsletter. Subscribe for free at Fourth Watch. Dot media. 
join me. Let's build a better media together. If you like the music in the show as I do, check out the artist who created it, Super Duper. That's Super Duper Music on Instagram. Song is Far From Falling. Download it wherever you get your music and download and follow. They say now follow this show on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Be back soon. Stay safe. Talk to you then. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.